Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So, I pose the question um, in a circuitous route as I am prone to do. Is there a player in the history of the NHL that you think could be dropped in today's game and still be able to succeed? Any player throughout history, could they play today? My first thought, first person that popped into my head when you asked that question previous episode was Pavel Bure. Don't know why. I mean, he could. I'm not saying they can't, but it's just kind of one of those. Oh, yeah, Pavel. Pavel Bure. <laughs> because of his speed and... Yeah, I mean, he he did well enough in the era that he was a part of, but um, I think that if he didn't have to play in a time period that was, you know, the trap and so bogged down with, like, freezing the puck and all of that, I think he really would have shined quite well in today's game. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah, he is most certainly one of those guys because when you did see those fits of speed and skill when he did get that open space he looked exactly like somebody you'd expect to see playing today mm-hmm. and he's not as fast as Connor McDavid but you know. well if he had today's training regiments at his disposal we'll see I don't know. He was Red Army, so... (laughs) I was going to say. He was Soviet. (laughs) Well, if if Alex Simmons' uh, latter career taught us anything is some of their training methods are a bit outdated. So uh, I, I went... I think I wrote down about half dozen names... You know, five minutes after we uh, finished recording last week. But for whatever reason, I kept coming back to this name. Hock and Lube. Ah! (laughs) Nice off the board pick. Yeah, I I, kind of wanted to go a little uh, semi-obscure, but here's a, you know, at his peak, he was a 5'9", 175-pound winger mm-hmm. who only had uh, six seasons in the NHL, but when he played, he was a point producer and was a full first team all-star back in 88. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, he just had a short career and ended up going back to whatever the Swedish league was called back then. Um, played another, I believe six or seven years and just produced decent numbers, but fast could both score and distribute uh, his record high in 88 was 106 points. And I just think he seemed like the type of player that would just kind of flourish. Um, he, he would be what everyone thinks Johnny Goudreau is, <laughs> but I don't think Goudreau is ever as good as, as Lube was. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah. That is a hell of a pick. 
and and it kind of got me thinking. I mean, I I was going even further back. I was first person that came to mind to me actually, amazingly enough, was Mike Bossy. Mm. Okay. And that's that's just because, and, and I'll agree with a lot of people that that sort of said that he was a natural goal scorer, and he had just the right size and the speed and the skill. Everything he kind of, I mean, uh, uh, he was a little bit better in shape. Phil Kessel, Phil Kessel, if that makes sense. <laughs> a guy that can just get you that easy goal off the rush, you know, can can do the work. It has a little bit of a temper and and so forth. But now that you brought up Hawk and Lube, I I kind of went. You know who else might be interesting? Cliff Ronning. Oh yes, because he was just a little oh. water bug. Right. I mean, he's just never put up everyone's ankles. Yeah. Never, (laughs) never put up ridiculous points. I mean, I think he peaked around 90 or so one year, you know, with the Canucks. I think he had he had some pretty good years with the Canucks, but just that kind of guy, you know, that that perfect archetype for that second, third line kind of guy that, you know, just just skated. Like you said, Cassie just skated around everyone's ankles. (laughs) Ankle biter. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's probably the sole. You know, he and he and Hawk and Lube and Theron Fleury are probably the real reasons that that the uh, the shot guards were invented because they got guys got tired of them nipping at their feet. You know, it wasn't the pucks hitting their ankles; it was those guys coming around and nipping at them. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was the goalies like hacking on them. Oh Lord, no! Camping out in front of the net. Oh, there's that hot take uh, siren. <laughs> Today's hot take alarm brought to you by <laughs> the new Taco Bell Cantina, wherever it's being opened at. I, I really wanted to, like, just throw out there because he played for so long and in so many different, like, decades. I just wanted to say Gordy Howe. <laughs> you know, no real basis, in fact, just wanted to say it. <laughs> I... I, I I jokingly, after I posed that question, I was going, you know, Gordy. And I just said, stop, stop, just, you know, <laughs> just just because he played for 50 years, you know, just stop. Am I allowed to put my elbow down now? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still love I still love the story of the Red Wings playing in a in a prison game that they were worried about the safety and security of of the players, but they, once they got Gordy to how to promise to keep his elbows down, everyone was fine. <laughs> Chris Pronger. Oh. God. God, that production line. And and that's the other thing, too, is I was kind of going, you know, obviously we were going to tend to lean towards players that we that we've seen. And and growing up, right, and through our times watching hockey, we're going to tend to probably lean towards those guys that we have memories of, at least watching in some way, shape, or form. And I tried to do a little bit of research to go back even further before I started watching hockey in the fifties, um, fifty-six, <coughs> um, whatever that was. Black Ages. Black and white TVs were still prevalent. Um, decades. Uh-huh, Aha, yeah. keep going. Shush. Epics. Ah, 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 stop. Um, just to see if I could, you know, find some 
even anecdotal information about a certain player or you know just something beyond the stats that would lead me to believe that they could play in today's game right because i think we all chose someone based on the skills that we witnessed them not just their stats so it was like like with like you said pat with hawk and lube it was his ability to score and distribute and you know he wasn't terribly big but he had great vision and he had the ability maybe he wasn't the fastest guy but he was very good on his skates and on his edges and and so forth and that's kind of the same thing i you know with mike bossy it's you know maybe he wasn't the most physical guy or the fastest guy but he just had those those skills and intangibles that lend themselves to today's game and i don't know where you just you just pulled something out cassie mm-hmm. <laughs> you just pulled something out yeah, well, <laughs> um, I mean, the other thing, too, though, to take into consideration that a lot of, at least I have a hard time getting past, is that the conditioning was very different. Very, very different before, you know, especially like the 80s, where guys would just show up to camp and work their way, skate their way into shape. Um, and so that, that kind of lends to a totally different style of skating <laughs> and playing. Oh, yeah. And so, um, you know, it's like we're used to seeing guys now who stay in shape all year long. I mean, that's their job is to stay in shape all year long. And, um, you know, then you go back to like the 60s or the 70s and hockey wasn't even their full time job. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, every time anybody says that to me, though, I just picture one of those shots of Gordy Howe, you know, with his shirt off when he was fishing or something, and the guy was built like a Mack truck. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, it was... I know. Was he, like, the exception, or... Uh, no, well, rather than the rule, or... Right, right. Who knows? Right. Right, right. I, I totally remember, you know, I, I used to laugh, and anytime anybody asked me, who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup, you know, way back in the early 80s, mid 80s, I used to say, let me, you know, ask me after 20 games when everyone's in shape. Because mm-hmm. those, those first 20 games were generally players getting in shape back then. Oh, God, I'm <laughs> really old. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm probably about about the same kind of old, so that's okay. No, I just, <laughs> yeah, I, in my little research experiment, I could not find really any of those, and I'm going to call them classic era players. Sort of the the arbitrary six and and earlier players that I could really think, you know, I could really find some sort of. Like I said, even anecdotal information that would lead me to believe that you could pick them up and move them into today's game and, and you know, applying today's training regimens and so forth to them that they'd be able to produce the way they did in their era, which really kind of disappoints me. And I think I'd, I think I need to join the Society for International Hockey Research, apparently. <clears throat> do, do, do I need to make the sound effect now? Yeah, please do. <laughs> the International Society of Hockey Geeks, the Ice Hogs. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was reading. Uh, uh, speaking of 
old man yelling at clouds. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm still hey, you're not. Than, you're still, not <laughs> still younger than Jeff Merrick by months. Um, <clears throat> you're not. Um, no, uh, uh, I was reading a, a Seattle Times article. They were interviewing Don Cherry. <laughs> and. And, <laughs> and the reason that they're interviewing Don Cherry was because he had played in the Western League mm-hmm. in Spokane mm-hmm. for many years. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Which, of course, makes him an expert on the area. Naturally. Yeah. Uh, who hasn't lived here in decades, or there in decades. I don't even live there. <laughs> and, uh, and he was saying... It's funny because he actually had said something about how Guile Fielder could play in today's game. And I'm sitting there thinking about that going, could he, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, he's he's actually one of the ones I was trying to do a little bit of research on. And I did not find anything that led me to believe he could. Yep. And well, I again, that... I was thinking old man yells at clouds, so... Was that really a? Yeah, you yeah, know. Just I I don't know whether that shows just how out of touch he is with today's game, or the fact that he really. Yeah, I think it's more he's just out of touch with today's game. Um, <clears throat> oh my god, I just had a thought and I just walked right on out of the room. All right, so good show. <laughs> So, Pat. Oh, I know what it was. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Pat's awfully quiet, so I was making sure he was well, sitting over you there. Guys are, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sidestep all the age jokes, man. Yeah, yeah, jokes. I wasn't, I wasn't going to say that. No, no but. Okay. It yeah. doesn't bother me at all, so I'm okay with that. But, you know. Wow. Um, <laughs> one thought I had when I was researching this was um, how quickly players would flame out in today's game and i kind of got stuck on this one how long would phil esposito survive in the modern game so that's actually good god in heaven you just had wiretapped my brain that's the thing that i was thinking of that (laughs) floated away from me um and I was sitting there kind of laughing, going, well, it depends on whether he stuck with his training regiment or he was, you know, forced into one of the modern training regiments. If he Phil Kesseled himself like he like he kind of did, I think he'd probably have, you know, a fairly lengthy career. If he tried to become, you know, one of these just training freaks... I think you're right. I think he'd probably, with his style of play, he'd probably be one of those guys that would you know, burn out after six, seven years. Yeah. You know, if, if he could get, you know, through his first few years where he he was a mediocre average player. Uh-huh. And then when he got to Boston and had that surrounding cast in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, then he took off. But you don't see that happen too often. Um where players just kind of they middle around and then they kind of find their gear and i kind of thought about him as we heard news of matt cullen retiring because here's a guy who was just kind of he just kind of you know made his way through the late 90s early 2000s and then by the time he was 29 that's where he kind of picked up steam 
um, took four or five years to kind of make an impact. And uh, I'm wondering if, you know, if you can't get through your entry level contract without, you know, putting on a show, are you going to be anything more than a bottom six forward? Or I think, I think defensemen would have a little easier time uh, adjusting to eras, but like super high end forwards from the late sixties and seventies. Uh, I just got, I was just scratching my head over that one for a while. Yeah. I think the, I think the um, patience window is shorter. Definitely. Very much so. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. And, and I was kind of sitting here going, Hmm. You know, the, when you brought up Matt Cullen, it's he's a prime example of a guy who was who just morphed as he reached certain stage of his career. He morphed into something different, and that's you know that that ability to morph his game to fill the role that was required of him or necessary of him at that time. You know, all the way through till you know his his last few years, he understood his role and he did it beautifully. Prior to that, he understood his role, and he just took his game, and he continued to work on those things that lent him to be successful in that role. And <clears throat> there aren't a lot of guys that, that do that successfully, now that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, and, and, yeah. have a, and have a career as long as his. I mean, it used to be before before the full season lockout, which is when the push to go younger and cheaper happened and i think the they that's where the window like shortened significantly patience window shortened i mean you know it used to be guys wouldn't hit their stride until their mid to late 20s and then they had that window between the mid 20s till their early 30s where they were at their peak and then defensemen were a little bit longer until their mid 30s then after that everybody kind of dropped off significantly and so, I mean, that's the other thing that, that I was kind of taking into consideration with earlier eras and not having the workout regimen that everybody did. Would half those guys even make it into the NHL? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I mean, even if they were they were able to do today's workout regimen, I mean, again, it's a totally different mentality. And... I mean, would they make it past their entry-level contract? And that's where you got to kind of go back and see what kind of natural talent did they have? Right. What kind of natural abilities did they have? Yeah, I I was also kind of stuck because the further back you go, obviously the rules of the game have changed so drastically that what would somebody who played in you know the the early or late teens when the forward pass wasn't legal? think about today's game you know could you put some oh my god you know what the hell would they do with themselves it's kind of why i targeted um mid to late 80s as a starting point for looking for players and Mm -hmm. one other name on my list was gary roberts because we all think of him now as this you know trainer fitness buff but that wasn't him in his you know years when he was with calgary he was just a good up-and-coming player, and he put up some serious points before, you know, the the um, the New Jersey Devils neutral zone trap era, the clutch and grab game began. But Stop then blaming the Devils. 
No, they were an offensive powerhouse when it came down to it. They just sucked the life out of everybody else. But it wasn't. Good old Jacques Lemaire. No, teams were doing it long before them. They just made it look good. No, I know. They, well, they, they won just, a cup with it. They popularized it as well. That's exactly it. Because mm-hmm. this league is nothing but if, nothing, if anything, but just copycatters. Yep. Anyway, sorry to derail you. No, but Roberts, you know, somewhere in his early to mid thirties, that's when he kind of flipped the switch and did the training regimen, so he could play twenty-one years, because he went from you know that Calgary cup team to playing with, I think, I think he, he was with Pittsburgh the year they lost to Detroit in the final. And then he played like half a season after that. Yeah. Um, which is spanning quite a variety of stylistic. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, he, he got to see that. He got to see the, the sort of, ending of the era where goaltenders weren't goaltenders but you also couldn't score that much because people could literally water ski or hold you against the boards for five minutes mm-hmm. or clutch you know clutch and grab was was way worse in the 80s than people ever realize the only reason that people think that it's different because they don't watch the games they just see the scores and go oh my god it was wide open no it was quite the opposite they're just the goaltending was worse and shooting percentages were supposed to be up in the 20s right exactly exactly so another interesting thing i was sort of thinking of as we were talking is um touching on the on the age concept of players and maturing into you know reaching their peaks and everything and i'm wondering if that's not a point of contention they'll bring up in a cba at some point because it used to be free agency wasn't until your 30s. Then it's, you know, it's dropped. And now that it's dropped again to some qualifiers, whereas it's, it's like as low as, potentially as low as 26. But generally it's around 28 or 29, depending on how you do your contracts. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, you know, maybe they don't start looking at true unrestricted free agency earlier in the CBA because so many kids are coming in younger because like you said, Cassie, you know, they're the, the whole thing is skewing younger, especially post lockout because you know, the salary cap means you can only pay a certain band of players X amount of money. And then everyone else has to be on the cheap. Well, what's the easiest way to do it on the cheap? You find young kids, which is why Chicago, you know, had to turn over their roster almost, every time they won a cup because they get those guys in that were cheap. But next thing you know, boom, they aren't cheap anymore because they're now cup winners. So they got to go. We'll bring in the next guy who's cheap. Such a bad way to run a team. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I know it's, it, it's effective to an extent, but it's such a it, bad way. <laughs> it's, it's what they've wrought on themselves, though. Yes. Definitely. You know, they have no one else. They can look in the mirror and point at the guy, and that's the one to blame. I just, you know, I I don't think there's going to... I'm starting to think more and more there's not going to be a lockout, but I, 
I just wonder at what point are the players going to wake up and go, we want unrestricted free agency earlier now, you know, because the, the guys that are getting into, if you're past your thirties, um, are having a harder time finding contracts now, right? I mean, you start to look around and the guys that are on these one year deals after their, after their UFA year, um, somebody like Tavares, when his deal is done, is he going to find a contract? How many more rounds of expansion are we going to have? I think that's going to end up being their question. Right. Because, I mean, at least with the RFAs, no one's signing these long-term deals. Like, well, as, we started, smart. Yeah. as we started recording, uh, St. Louis just announced they signed Jordan Biddington to a two-year contract uh, for $4.4 million each, which... I, I thought you're supposed to overpay rookie cup winning goalies and sign them to long term deals. I, I thought that's how the w- things worked. Doesn't that but walk him to UFA status? It, it probably does since he's an older. Or it might. Uh, it may eat a year, but it does take him to uh, UFA, okay. which is good. Like. I, I've seen more level-headedness this off-season outside of maybe Vancouver and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and Pittsburgh is only because there was only so much they could do. Um, but those are those are GMs just trying to <laughs> save their jobs at the only, moment. Only so much they could do. Get worse. <laughs> was not was not the way I expected them to go. No, no. See, Vancouver. I'll say they. I think they're better. They're just gonna have to trade somebody in a year because they weren't. They're not gonna be able to afford, you know, guys that they need to resign. Well, yeah, but I'm. I mean, Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, Pitt, so, so I. I hate doing predictions. I'm just. I just w- wait and see. If Crosby didn't go on that tear in the middle of the year, I, I, I'm down as missing the playoffs, and I don't think they have a chance this year whatsoever. Um, they, they, they managed to get slower and worse on defense. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to rat hole on on that, but yeah, it's <laughs> so. But kind of circle back to my point is at least we're seeing big take RFAs coming at an entry level and they're just saying, all right, walk me right up to UFA years. Maybe, maybe I'll give you one year. I'll let you buy one year, but no more because they want to cash in again. Yeah. And, and I think with the restriction on the seven and eight year deals too, you know, if, if I've got your rights, prior to a certain date, I can sign you to an eight-year. If not, it's a seven-year. And I think we're going to start seeing some of those terms, like you said, kind of start coming down even on the U, on the on the purportedly big-ticket UFAs as they, as they come out. As the, back in 2012, one of the league's hills to die on was they wanted a five-year term. Yeah. And... I think they'll get it this next go around. I don't think the players are going to care that much. Well, I think, I the, think players the players are more interested. I think 
Well, I think the power in the players union is shifting where it's the old guys that are on their third contract. They're the ones more heavily involved in the union. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at least that was the case last round and, and back in, you know, Oh, four or five. But now I think the young, the fact that Connor McDavid who signed a big ticket deal is actually involved in anything like he's actually showing up at a table, whether it's just competition committee stuff, um, just says the, the younger guys want to take control of the league. And I think they will sacrifice term limits for, you know, some HR recalculations if it eases escrow. But the fact that they can maybe sign four contracts, five contracts, instead of just doing a Parisi or suit or, or, you know, just taking the eight-year deal by default, um, I think that mentality is going out the window faster than we realize. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think part of it also is, too, that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they realize, you know, the, the quote-unquote ring the bell or, or, you know, get that big ticket contract you should have two swings at it and the only way to get two swings at it is if you don't take that eight year you know it's it's you you shorten yourself you take what you can now and then the next time you know like austin matthews i'll just use it as an example right he's got a five-year deal it's going to walk him pretty much right to unrestricted free agency and he's making pretty good bank. Well, the cap's going to go up three to five percent, as is as is prone to do. It's anywhere it's anywhere between three and five percent annually. You know, there'll probably be a little bit of a spike when Seattle comes in, but you know, and part of that is also the max salary is going to come up, and the max salary he's going to be able to get while still in that window of his prime career is going to be higher. You know, and then, and they always say, you know, the boogeyman, the boogeyman argument, right? Well, what if he suffers an injury? Well, what if he doesn't? You know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of get this weird feeling that they're going to start following that model of, okay, fine, you know, I'll take a fairly hefty amount now, but guess what? In five years, that's you know, we'll say on the low end, that's a fifteen percent salary increase on the cap. And that top level salary is going to come up to, you know, almost, you know, four times what I've got now. I'll take it because you're going to sign me for another five year deal. That'll take me to 30 or 35 or 30, you know, early 30s. And then from there, I can just go poke, you know, kind of Joe Thornton it. Right. I can just go find Mm -hmm. these one year deals because, I mean, there's money out there. I don't I get why these guys want to look for term because they're guaranteed contracts unlike a lot of the other sports but your career is going to end when it's going to end whether it's because you've aged out or because you've suffered a career ending injury and being on LTIR you know like Clarkson or Lupul or any of those guys is is I don't know I I uh, I don't think Lupul would be on LTIR if he didn't have that boat anchor contract. I'm just going to leave that at that. <laughs> Burying it? Is that what you're saying? Burying the contract? A little bit of a little bit of Robodah Islanding, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got nothing. So, I mean, I, I'm like. <laughs> so my only thought after that is, so what kind of front office job is Lupo looking for if he's in the press lately talking about, you know, contract situation? What What's he trying to do? Is he trying to get a media job at companies that are, you know, slashing jobs? I I wonder if he's not trying to find his way onto the PA. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I, I doubt, I don't know. I can't say I doubt because I don't know the guy. I've never met him. I've only heard half of an interview with him. I don't see him as that TV guy. No. Because I think way too Canadian for that. Way too Canadian, and I and I'm going to be unbelievably nasty, even though again I've never met him. I think it's too much work for him, because mm. it is a fairly rigorous job. What actually watching hockey games and actually studying things instead of just assuming Team X is fast and Team Y is slow, and forming opinions and actually putting them out there for people to pick apart. Exactly. I think there's just there's there's too many arrows to be slung at him and there's too much work to have to go in and, you know, be there at night doing all of these things during the games and not get out until one in the morning or two in the morning because you because you're stuck working an East or a West Coast game. And it's, you know, Arizona versus Anaheim, you know. I, I and just, the jobs aren't there to only have to do it one night a week, as opposed right. to you. You're probably doing it three, four, five. Right. Depending upon where you can get a job. So. Right. You know, and then if you know if that's not the case, then you're probably working for a team, and then you have to, you know, then you're saddled either in a studio or you're on a, or you're traveling with the boys, which might be fine, but. I don't know. I just don't see him. I don't think he's got the personality cut for it. I think he's... No, so, so that's why I was leaning... All right, front office? But the, the P, mentioning a PA job is... It's kind of got the gears rolling in my head right now. It's I mean, interesting. He, yeah, he would be a guy that I could see, you know, potentially because of his unique experience... You know, he and Clarkson and Lupul or and uh, Robidaud and you know some of those guys that were that just sort of vanished. <laughs> you know, Nathan Horton obviously had medical reasons, but you know those are the kind of guys I could see wanting to get into doing the PA stuff if they could to ensure contracts are guaranteed and the players are taken care of and and that kind of those sort of those key areas. Because I just worry that, you know, these younger kids that, that don't have those unique experiences, if they start taking control, they might be willing to give up guaranteed contracts at some point. Because none of them have been injured, right? And they always say that the the players union tends to skew towards the high-end talent. And the high-end talent very rarely gets sort of career-threatening injuries. Or career-ending injuries. Unless you're concussion-prone. 
Well, even then, you just take a salt tablet and you know go back out on the ice, and then you miss half a season. What was what Crosby missed like three quarters of a season? Something like that. Yeah. Mm. It'd be. I'm just trying to conceive in my mind what sort of offer or let's be honest, threat the league can do to to go after guaranteed contracts. But they, I mean, it's, what do they want? What's the Players Association want, right? The Olympics. It's, right. I mean, it's always, well, stupid, I, it's always stupid stuff like that. I don't think that's an even trade, but. No. You know, you think about the stupid trades that hockey teams make. <laughs> You know, yeah. and it, it it's not gonna be a it's not gonna be a, a a Taylor Hall a Taylor Hall one for one trade, but you know, we'll give you we'll give you you know we'll acquiesce to this on HRR and and do all of this you know stuff that you want on escrow and we'll give you the Olympics and we want this mm-hmm. escrow they they probably trade it for escrow. It's like you stop us, you don't do escrow anymore, and we'll give up guaranteed contracts. See, I don't think they will. I think they'll be willing to sacrifice um, bonus structure for 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 um, escrow. I, I think that's going to be the the battle lines because. Gary hates bonuses in the way, you know, big market teams apparently are flexing their muscle because it, it, in theory, it doesn't create a, a level playing field where every team gets a chance at signing someone to um, a fair market deal. Like the Sebastian Ajo contract, it got matched in Carolina. But when you look back to when Nashville matched Philadelphia's contract on Shea Weber, it was kind of the writing on the wall. You're going to be out of here at some point. Yeah, um, I mean, that probably was after probably after we pay out the big, you know, July firsts. Uh, yeah, when it swaps from when it swaps from bonus to salary, mm-hmm. because that's the way they always structured them, right? It's always mm-hmm. front loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you know that was. I, I'm kind of laughing because it's the same loophole and, and it's ironic that we're recording today, which is Harrison Ford's birthday that <laughs> the Rangers threw at the abs in, in Joe Sackick. Oh yeah. In that offer sheet, it was so heavily front loaded with bonuses that the ownership <laughs> group of the abs, you know, had to, had to have Harrison Ford save them with air force one. <laughs> Had that movie bombed, Joe Sackett would have been playing on Broadway. Broadway Joe, you know? <laughs> have been a whole oh. new Broadway Joe. Mm-hmm. Talk about the antithesis of Joe Namath. Jeez. Yeah, maybe, maybe 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 you could draw some hair comparisons, but boy. I don't yeah, I don't think Joe Sackett's doing pantyhose commercials anytime soon. Um <laughs> yes, Joe Namath did do pantyhose commercials. Um so, yeah, it's just remembering them. That's why I was laughing. Yeah. <laughs> was so, like, right. I'm wondering. I. Yeah, I can't imagine that anyone's thrilled. It. I, I mean, I can't imagine there are people that are thrilled, but it's 
the way the bonus structure and everything is set up in the in the current CBA, it's like you can try and close that hole, but guess what? The mouse is going to find another way in. You know, there's always there's always a smarter mouse. Okay, you don't like us signing these big 13-year backdiving deals like um, Kovalchuk and, and Weber? Okay, fine. Then we're going to start doing these weird-ass bonus structures, you know, where we'll sign someone to eight years, but really, you know, the AAV works out that it's just such that and it's not a massive cap hit, but it's so front-loaded with bonuses and everything that by the time they're in that seven and eight year, you know, they're making 750k in salary. Uh, and that it does, like you said, Pat, it does create an unlevel playing field to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, like I said, not I everyone think... has the Harrison Ford to save them. <laughs> no. Or pantyhose contracts. Awkward. They'll they'll always find a way to like screw each other over. I mean, it's just the way it is. Is it? You get you can't get like ten people to agree on one thing, let alone thirty-two teams. So, I mean, no matter what happens, they'll always find a loophole, and there'll always be some team or two or three that take advantage of it, and all of a sudden they have an unfair advantage over everybody. And I mean, as we've all said before, the league's totally reactive. <laughs> it's like, oh no, we can't have that, and then everything shuts down, and boom, there's another loophole. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always going to be a smarter mouse. You know, they can set as many traps as they want. There's always going to be a smarter mouse. They're just a funny group of guys. Those hockey men. All hundred ninety nine of them. <laughs> no, no, still two hundred. 201, then. Where'd the one come from? There's bound to be one. There's one born every minute. <laughs> someone someone has a son that's old enough. Finally. <laughs> so someone, <laughs> someone, you know, someone in Seattle read that Don Cherry article, and when I agree with him, I wish to subscribe to his newsletter, and then went on Twitter and found one of his rants and went, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You saw the news yesterday, I think it was yesterday, maybe it was the day before yesterday, it was the day before yesterday, um, where Chiarelli hired Fenton's son in Edmonton, and so Fenton is hiring Chiarelli's son as an amateur scout. <laughs> he ought to be good at, scam- at scouting amateurs, because he's seen it enough. Yeah. So it's... Uh, Mike Chiarelli, Peter's brother and Euler amateur scout, may be going to work for the Minnesota Wild. No, nepotism in the NHL, it can't be. <laughs> Steve Dangle actually tweeted out, this is where I saw it, he said, Westeros has more family names than the NHL. <laughs> I, I, I will laugh, even though I don't watch Game of Thrones, because I understand that joke. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Uh, and then a, a friend of mine, he's he's a British Ranger, New York Rangers fan. 
Um, he went on to say on Twitter, joins a strong scouting staff of Brian Fenton, Jim Fenton, Gore Chiarelli, Steve Fenton, Steve Chiarelli Fenton, and Stefan Fentonson. He made up all the names. <laughs> no, th- at least three of those are real, and he just doesn't realize it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. More than likely three of those are real, and he just doesn't realize it. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Nepotism still going strong in the NHL. I mean, as always. It's easy, right? I mean, you don't have to think. You just you just say the name Gretzky, right? And and you think Keith. Do I? <laughs> Are no, you that's... the one that's running NHL by NHL Maddie? By... <laughs> Uh no. Um <clears throat> I was I was actually gonna start an account that was just talking all about Brent Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> because I I I I succinctly remember oh my god. I succinctly remember when Gretzky came into the league in the NHL I should say. Um and people started raving about him. And obviously like the second or third year they started talking more to his father and his mother and then they discovered that there's two other boys and that he had two younger brothers the people's eyes lit up you know like if this guy's this good you know generally the rule of thumb is like the youngest brother is always the best and so everyone was just waiting for the youngest to come into the league because oh my god and then people suddenly realized after a while that no <laughs> he's a good one yeah, I remember all of that. <laughs> Alrighty, so you guys ready for my question? A Cassie bomb. Yay! Something to make you think. All right. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> outside of lockouts and outside of Yaramir Yager. You'll understand what's I ask the question. <laughs> what players that you can think of or know about that started in the NHL, went on to sign in Europe, and then came back to play in the NHL? Oh, good God. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody.